All right, so before we go ahead and start, we will pray and uh, begin with the, we begin with the recap of what happened in the what happened with last week and what we learned last week, and then we'll continue from there on. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you for giving us this time. As we are going to look at the book of Acts, chapter 5, this uh, Sunday, this morning, I pray that you help us understand your word and help us live according to your word, O oh, Father. We thank you and we praise you. Uh, we ask that you give us understanding of your scripture. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. So one of the things that we learned from previous uh, week was in chapter 4, particularly what did we learn in chapter 4? What was the passage that we looked at uh, last week in chapter 4? The last parts of the passage, obviously, the last 32 to 37. And anybody recall what 32 to 37 verses are saying in chapter 4? What is it saying? Obviously, I put here some of the most important thing. I think important in the sense like we're going to see some contrast in these verses today. But one of the primary things that we see in chapters four, uh, chapter 4, 32 to 37, I believe, is the, 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 the lives of the new believers. What, what were they doing back then? They were trying to sell everything they have. Obviously, we read people have things in common. They were helping one another, and they're trying to sell what they have and uh, bring those proceeds or the money or whatever they the sold. And they were laying down those things at the feet of who? Apostles. So we saw some of that, and here is one of the things that I mentioned last week that we're going to see some contrast. And Joseph, who, was, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, so his name was Joseph, I mean Barnabas, but apostles call him Joseph, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, uh, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So uh, when, you look the whole, when you look at the whole narrative of chapter 4 and what was going on there, uh, and when you see this part, Luke was giving this on, on a purpose. He was giving this information on a purpose. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, uh, Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus having land, sold it, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Did he say anything else about him? He said nothing besides what he said here. So this is very important for us. Sometimes we just read the narrative. Narrative is basically a story or a discourse. We just read it and move along. But there's so much that we should glean from these narratives. If we read the Bible carefully, there's so many insights that we will learn. This little event of Barnabas functions, key term, it functions as a contrast to what was going to happen in chapter 5. You see, this is just beautiful, right? We see some sort of a progressive move, like from one chapter to another chapter to another chapter to another chapter. And ultimately, when we get to Acts, the end of Acts, chapter, uh, end of Acts, we're going to see that Paul will be in Rome. So there is uh, really a structure, a beautiful structure in the book of Acts. So everything... Matters So every, basically every word and verse that God has given matters to us. So here, the, the, the writer Luke is trying to help us see some connections. Obviously, if you just read on the surface, we're not going to see all these connections. We're just going to read it for the sake of reading, right? Sometimes when we're asked to read Bible for like what? Finish the Bible in one year. Uh, we don't really pay attention to the text. At least sometimes we just read it. We just read it because, because I did that too. I want to read the Bible so I can finish it off. 
not because I want to learn something, but just because I, I would feel satisfied that I read it all. But if you read slowly, thoroughly, you, you, I don't think you'll have a way to finish Bible in one year, readings, because you get into lots and lots of questions. So this little event of Barnabas functions as a contrast to what was going to happen in chapter 5, and so what is going to happen there? We will see in a little bit what can we learn from that chapter is church and individual members of the church must be generous in giving is what we see. Because people were giving into the teachings of apostles. They were believing in the word. They were also taught by the apostles of how they ought to be, their characteristics of a church. Because again, in chapter 5, when we come to chapter 5, that's the first time we're going to hear the term ecclesia, meaning the church. Until then, there is no church, church, like a, a proper church. But they were giving training to these people how they ought to live, how Christians should live. One of the characteristics is to be generous. That is why um, and a church is a spe- special thing in the world. I mean, when you, when you read some of the surveys and um, uh, what is it called, the polls and things like that, I've learned recently that some of the polls, they indicate that people who go to church are the ones who's got more peace in their lives or stress, less little stress in their lives than those who don't go to church. Because you belong to a family and there is that familial love within the church or it should have that familial love. Like, like I went to one of the most uh, interesting things was uh, I learned about the church family and the love of church families when I went to small churches, especially in the state of North Carolina when I was in, in the U.S. I went to small churches, churches that live up in the mountains somewhere in the they're like 30 people, 40 people, 50 people max. I mean, you don't, you don't have, and everybody speaks their mountain language, you know, by, by that. It's still English, but it's mountain English. So sometimes I would have a hard time understanding what they're saying. Sometimes it's fun to listen to them. Uh, and I do a little mimic every now and then. So sometimes I speak to them in their own accent and they laugh. It's just fun. But then those small churches, they're just so loving. And it's not like, uh, because they all work in some groceries or somewhere here and there. It's not like they have lots of money, but their towns are up somewhere in the mountains. But what they have, they bring to the church. Some of them, I've seen, uh, they grow chicken in their own backyard. <laughs> lots of things in their own backyard to save money. So small churches where I experience love, and that's also the family. Whole church members are just so loving. They talk and they show their kindness to one another. It's just really amazing. And the opposite thing, and I'm, I'm not saying there's no love in big churches, but the opposite thing I've saw in, uh, I saw in big, big churches, like you hardly talk to anybody. You just walk in and walk out. There's no connection. There's no relation. I mean, pastor, yes, we see him preaching on there on the big, 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 big stage, and he's probably that, that much. Because he's, he's standing way far there. With all, yeah. And then all kinds, of, all kinds of lights and backgrounds and LED screens and everything else. We hardly see him uh, from a distance. But I've been to those churches as well. Where, I mean, it's nice to be in there and see what's going on. But at the same time, there is no connection. I mean, it's like so dry. I walk in. Howdy. Somebody said, that doesn't mean anything. How are you? It doesn't mean anything. It's just a way of... It's a natural thing. So very dry. And then I walk out. I'm like, what, what happened today? I mean, it's just so dry. Just, you know, maybe I'm not coming here again, sort of a thing. But small churches, when um, I saw such a love, because you know, obviously these pastors in small churches are also, they don't have um, you know, all these degrees and credentials behind their names. They just know the gospel. They preach the gospel. They kick the pulpit every now and then when they teach. 
or when they preach, they get really high. <laughs> you know, they they just go Ooh, and all that stuff, and it's, it's really uh, energetic, even though they're small. So I've learned in those churches the love of God is what I've seen directly from these people. And the disciples were teaching just that because you are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved by the grace of Christ. And you have to show that love because God is what? Love. You're mentioning the importance of the polls about people in the church having their lives more together. You have like political commentators that are Jews that are atheists saying, you know, one of the one of the reasons why American society is going down is, mm-hmm. is a turning away from being in churches. Right. You know, they're Jews, they're they're atheists, but they they see the importance of having that community. Now, of course, for them, they don't believe in Jesus, but even they can see that. They can see that. You know, there's something about those old timey, good old fashioned, you know, American gospel heritage churches. Mm-hmm. Those are positive things. Right. Now, for us, we know it's positive for eternity, but even they can see, even, even for temporal purposes, you break down the church, kind of like you break down the family, and America's you're not going to survive much longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, like, when you see from an outsider perspective, because they realize, they realize the importance of church, but obviously they don't want to give in, but they realize and express what they think about the church, so... Fr- everyone else to church. Yeah, but not themselves, yeah. I mean, it's really sad because it's like they're almost at the, at the doors of the church, but they don't want to come in. You know, one of the things that I was teaching the high schoolers is because we're going over creation. The evolution is the problem they have. Helen is here, high school student. So they have is that they don't want to do anything with God. Evolution's purpose is to eliminate God from the picture. I mean, for me, it's like it doesn't matter how many centuries you've been trying to eliminate God. You just cannot. You come up with a new theory. It's going to be a new theory in history. That's all. You cannot eliminate God. Why are you wasting your lives and everything else trying to prove that all this happened without help of God? But, you know, God is love. And because of our faith and belief in God, we are able to express what we have learned from Him with others. So what can we learn from that chapter 4 itself is church, churches and individual members of the church must be generous in giving. So we learn in the last passage. So for example, like you might say, well, I don't have a whole lot to give. What do I do? Well, if you don't have a whole lot to give you, you know, God knows what you have, what you don't. If you cannot give, God knows what, why and why you cannot give. Right? God never said give you everything. So this is one of the things that I was sharing with somebody else, I guess. God doesn't, I don't think God ever asked to give every material thing that you have to him. It's as if he's in need. Then you can come up with an argument and say, well, the rich guy, rich young guy, he came to Jesus and he just got this little, uh, again, even that attitude in him. You don't see that attitude in English. You see the attitude in the Greek structure. He wants to impress Jesus. This rich guy, rich young guy, he was a businessman, whatever, he's got a lot of money, he wants to impress Jesus, he came to Jesus, Master, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus says what? Sell everything you got. Jesus didn't say, sell, bring it to me, and follow me, right? He just said, sell, so you can give it to the poor. Jesus sees the need in the community. He saw these poor people. He was moved with compassion. They're like, they're like um, you know, when we're coming out of the apartment, there are a couple of dogs that's always around my car. I don't know why, probably they like my car. They're under my car or somewhere by the car. And I'm like, move, I need to go out. 
and then they look at me and they just move move away. It's like maybe Jesus saw these people are in desperate need. So from early days, that is from the ancient days, not even this, this, this is not the New Testament thing, this is an ancient Old Testament thing. God always encourages people to take care of the poor. There should not be, God says, in my community, in my people's group, in my nation, within my people, there cannot be injustice. You have to take care of poor people. They cannot be social injustice, which is what the book of Amos and Hosea talks about so much. Uh, when, you, when you hear Amos, he's one of my favorite prophets after Peter in the New Testament. Why is that? Amos is known as... Uh, Hard-headed prophet, or you know, he doesn't get scared for anybody. He he went to the king and said, "Yeah, obviously you're going to get killed. You're going to die soon. Congratulations." One of their priests said, "Amos, you of Judah, get back to your place and beg there. Don't come here and prophesy." But then Amos goes and says, "Your end is coming. Take care." He walks back. So Amos also talks about social injustice. Hosea talks about injustice. There's injustice everywhere, and God doesn't like that. He told them in the book of Torah to, to be uh, nice with even aliens, not only with the people, your people, but aliens, but they have failed over and over. So Jesus told this guy, go sell everything, give it to the poor. When you come to the book of Luke, which is where he said, we, we see that, and even Acts, also written by who? His focus was providing for the poor. Book of Luke, or Gospel of Luke, was focused about the poor people. So Jesus tells, sell everything and come back and follow me. Obviously, when he said sell everything, that's a no-no for him. He didn't like it. He didn't feel that insecurity. Obviously, when you have a lot of money, the more you have, the more secure you think you have, right? But the more you have, that's where your heart is. One of the things in chapter 5, the more you have, the more your heart is going to be on that. It's like, I, I, this is mine, I'm possessive of this thing. This belongs to me. I mean, whether we realize or not, we're possessed of a lot of things. We're possessive of some things that we have. And in fact, we don't own anything in reality. Right? For example, let's say I start a church. And I started with five people, maybe two people. Maybe Jeremiah was the only one, my first church member, when I started. Just an example. <laughs> okay? And Jeremiah was the witness. And within 10, within 10 years, I have like maybe 3,000 people in the church. I saw the crowd. Wow. It's 3,000 people. I got to preach every Sunday, every week for these 3,000 people. This is my work. This is my church. This is mine. It belongs to me. And Jeremiah said, hey, I've been with you since it started. Maybe you can appoint me as a deacon or an assistant pastor. What? Mm-mm. You're trying to get rid of me and you come in my spot. Not happening. You can be the deacon, but you can operate as I say. Nothing. Don't come up with your ideas. You do what I say. So, you see where it's going? As if this belongs to me. God put these 3,000 people under my shoulders or upon my shoulders so I can lead them in the right direction. That is all. I'm simply a servant. But when I think in biblical terms, that is when I would notice that I'm simply a slave to Jesus. I'm simply an instrument to Jesus. I'm simply a servant of God. I don't own anything. I don't possess anything. Because church belongs to who? God, you can say, hey, we are all missionaries here. We go into different parts of the world and we plant different churches. And by the end of our lifetime, I could say, I've planted 500 churches. You plant nothing. Excuse me, so all my life is waste? No. You have a reward in heaven. 
You're seeing the temporary things on earth and saying, well, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. Nothing belongs to us. In my name, I started a ministry, you know, it's Gospel Heritage, well, not my name, Gospel Heritage Ministries, I started, I'm the president of a non-profit organization. Okay, that doesn't mean I own everything of it. It's dedicated to serve God and His people's need, that is all. I don't get anything out of it, I don't own, own it. Am I making sense? God is the owner of the thing, because He gave me the desire to start it, so... Ultimately, it be used and should be used for God's purpose. And that is one of the main things that we're going to see in this contrast. Where is our heart? Where is our heart? So we learn that these people were leaving everything at the feet of the disciples, apostles. And they're, they're highly you know, respected men. They're God's people, God's apostles, Christ's apostles. So they left everything at their feet. And, and there's, uh, uh, what is it called? Unconditionalist. Uh, sacrificially they're giving to these apostles. Again, I have to make connect my point here like I was saying earlier. I don't think God will be satisfied that He's asking everything uh, that we have to give it back to Him uh, and so He could be satisfied. God owns everything, right? He doesn't really need everything. He's, he's looking for the heart. Are you being sacrificial or not? Are you being willing to give to come forward or not? Right? So that is all God is saying. It's not like, well, if He takes, I mean, on the other side, if God takes everything we have, how are we going to live? You think we do, He doesn't know that we need something to live? So obviously, there's a lot of misunderstanding in that we, He never asks us to give all. But then here, as we are looking in chapter 4, and also we would look here, the, one of the main distinctions I want to point out over uh, between chapter 4 and 5 and the people's giving is they're not forced. You see that? Chapter 4, 30 to 37, these people are not forced to give. Disciples or apostles were not holding knives on people's neck and saying, bring what you got. They were not forced at all. These people are trained under the apostles. They are trained of the love of God and giving and also the familial relationship of a church and what church is. So they automatically are transformed into that teaching. They're, they're, they believe into, those, uh, into the teachings and they're giving on their own. Nobody is forced at all, and we will see that in chapter 5. So, we just learned about the, uh, uh, about uh, Barnabas, also known as Joseph. Uh, Joseph. Uh, he, came, he came and he brought everything that he sold, and he brought the money and left it at the feet of the uh, apostles. So, there is no self-centered greediness in that giving. He just brought everything, kept it at the feet. So, what are we going to learn in chapter 5, 1 to 11? And that is all we're going to look at today. Chapter 5, 1 to 11, one of the stories that we already know, Ananias and Sapphira. So what is the point of chapter 5, 1 to 10 is this. God wants us to be committed and faithful to Him. That is what He's saying through this passage. God wants us to be faithful and committed to Him. In our lives, not just our service, not just as pastors, teachers, and professors, and so forth, but in general, Christians must be committed and faithful to the Lord is what the point of this chapter 5, 1 to 10. So we learn in Acts 4 that people had things in common. They were giving to each other that is in need. They were generous, kind, caring, loving, etc. And in fact, the scripture says that there is not one needy person. Can you picture that? There's nobody's coming to the church members and say, hey, I need this. Why? Because it's all covered. 
It's all taken care of. There is not one that is in need among them. So that was the extent of taking care of one another during the time of Acts chapter 4. And in 434 and 37, we learn that people were bringing in the money after selling their belongings and laying them at the feet of apostles. This is to say that they are giving all the authority to the apostles to distribute the proceeds to the ones in need, whoever has got need. You give, you take care of it. It is, yes, my land. I sold my land, brought that money. Put it in your hands. So what do you do? You do whatever you need to do. That's not my responsibility. I mean, do we see a lot of people doing that? So let's just say, you know, a pastor asked the church, hey, we need to raise like $5,000 for this program, so and so and so. So pray and come next week to give and be prepared to give and all that stuff. How many times will you be so ready to give? Or are we hoping that somebody is going to cover? Nobody's raising their hands. What's wrong with them? And I, out of 5,000, maybe I can give 2,000, but I'm just hoping somebody will raise their hand and say, I'll give it. You see what I'm saying? They, people don't want to come forward. Okay, can you give 50 out of 5,000? Yes, but you, we don't want to come forward. We're looking for somebody to cover the whole thing. And the pastor says, okay, well, next week we'll take an offering, so you come back and who knows, maybe next week some of them are just sick. See, next week. Seven days from now, oh, seventh day morning at 8 a.m., I'm going to be sick. So I'm not coming. You see, that's not the case right there. They're just giving sacrificially. And they're blessed by the Lord. I mean, we see that the church is really in a beautiful state at that time. So from the narrative's perspective, we are going to see an interesting change in the flow of the story. So we see these people are giving and loving, all the kind of good stuff. And we're going to see a change in the flow of the story because all these chapters, they go together. Actually, from, uh, I believe, chapter 3 to 8, they're all one big narrative. Chapter 3 to 8 are one big narrative. So, And that change is in the way of contrast in people's behaviors and also priorities. So those people back in the day, they're giving in chapter 4 and loving and caring and a really good Church, a church needs to be like them, like an example of chapter 4, 32 to 37. But then we move into the writer shows the uh, contrast here. So what is that? The contrast between the good and bad example of giving. So, be, But before going into the passage, let us see the characters involved, as we already looked at the characters. The characters in this narrative that scripture shows us are Barnabas, the apostles, Ananias, and Sapphira. Now there's a lot of misunderstanding in this passage as well. We cannot, one of the things that we should avoid from thinking is the harshness of what we're going to learn from Peter's mouth. Some of us, we may think that it's so harsh for Peter to judge the uh, judge Ananias and Sapphira, but obviously he's really not doing that, and we will see if time permits, hopefully. So look at this. But a certain man, this is chapter 5, one or 2, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, Ananias, meaning the Lord is the provider, I believe. The Lord is a provider, his name. Sapphira, hmm, I forgot what Sapphira is, precious. Sapphira meaning precious something. But you know what Sapphira is, right? It's a precious stone, could be a precious stone. So the Lord is a provider and she's precious. I mean, that's, that's interesting meaning right there. So, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, it didn't say sold possessions, sold a possession, not all of it, sold some. And kept back part of the price, his wife also being private to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
Now, have you seen anything wrong? I mean, they sold what they have, some of it, not all of it. But within that some of it, they kept some of it. And they brought the remaining sum of the amount, put it at the apostles' feet. And this is very particular in the way Luke presents it. And I think here some of those who know Greek, aner day, meaning uncertain one. That aner day, uh, maybe I'll teach some Greek here. <laughs> How is that? Aner day means but. The day is, it looks like D, English D, right? The D-E, that's day. That's but, contrast, or end. So aner meaning man. But man, tis meaning certain one. T-I-S, it looks like T-I-S. So it means a certain one. Ananias, Anamati means Ananias is the name. Anamati means the name of the certain man's name is Ananias. With soon meaning with, that's a preposition. So with Sapphira. Oh, so this is not just Ananias' work. Who was involved in this? Both husband and wife. Both of them are involved in this keeping aside. It's not just the husband's thoughts. So they took this action on purpose, knowingly. So both of them were involved in this. And obviously, Sapphira, take Gunaiki, uh, Autu meaning his. So his wife, Sapphira, uh, they sold their possession. Basically, that's what it is. So in Greek, maybe one day I'll teach you some Greek. So the Anerde in the Greek language indicates new characters that stands in contrast to Barnabas. But a certain man. So here is Barnabas, what he did. He gave everything, put everything at the apostles' feet. But... What are you doing, Luke? Just keep reading, brother, he says. So he, here he says, but, which indicates a contrast. So what is he saying? Luke addressed the issue clearly that both were involved with the presuppositional phrase. Those of you who know English, I don't. I just speak what I know. <laughs> just kidding. So, so with Sapphira, but a man named Ananias with his wife sold a piece of property. So he was so purpose, purposeful in indicating their both involvement and kept back part of the prize. His wife uh, was also being private to it. So he was also either part of this plan uh, and brought a certain part of and laid it at the apostles' feet. So obviously what is going on here? What is going on? The deceit of Ananias. And the sapphire, they were so deceptive. There is nothing wrong. I mean, that is rightful thing to some extent. They sold what they have and brought it to a late apostle's feet. So you say, what is wrong with it? See, I sell my, my piece of property and say I sold it for a million dollars. And I you know, want to invest some in something else and keep some for savings. I mean, what is wrong in keeping savings? Is there anything wrong in having some savings account? Is it possible, you know, as reading this, like you said, you know, at first glance, it's like extremely harsh, like extremely hardcore, like this is pretty, this is a pretty crazy, you know, uh, story that's mm-hmm. happening here. Um, is it, you know, something that I think of just when I read this is, is it possible that, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, I don't know, I, I could be way off, and it's a little bit, I don't know, just thinking about it, it's a little bit of, uh, Know, connecting the dots, but is it possible that it is something that they agreed upon ahead of time? You know, we're going to do this, and we are going to give the church everything. Like that's what everyone everyone knew that you know, um, but that's not what they did. So, for example, they told Peter, they told the church, "We have this property. We're going to sell it. We're going to give all of its proceeds to you because we are such good people." Because we, you know, we want to participate in this sacrificial giving. 
So, you know, and they made that known, but when it came time to doing the deed, they secretly. So, you know, they, they said, you know, yeah. this, is, this is everything, but it wasn't. That, that is a possibility. Uh, yes, that could have happened because the text doesn't say there's any conversation between these people before. We just have the main things that happened, the storyline. We don't, we don't have the subsections of the storyline to see if there's any conversation. But then we are, when we look at this whole story, I mean, it's like Peter so abruptly, why did you do this sort of a thing? Why did Satan enter your heart? In other words, why did you give your heart to Satan? Why would, let, why would you let Satan take influence of your heart, sort of thing? Like you said, there's, there's nothing biblically wrong with selling something and giving 20% of it to the church, 5%, 2%, 50%, 75%, 100%. There's nothing biblically incorrect about any of those things. Mm-hmm. Could it be, like we will see, yes, yes ma'am. So you touched on the point, yes. We'll see why they are lying to the Lord. It's just a powerful statement right there. I mean, this is really... Yeah, I'm going ahead of my whole problem at 15, 20 slides here, but I don't know what time it is. What they did, God doesn't like that. People didn't beat them, didn't stone them to death. They died. While Peter was still speaking, that is a present active verb, Peter was still speaking to Ananias. He didn't let Peter complete the speech. He fell flat. I mean, same thing uh, to the wife. So what is going on here? How come they lie to God? How are they lying to God? Again, I'm going ahead of time. But we could say, this, we could call this, some people call this as unpardonable sin. This is, uh, you know, lying to the Holy Spirit is unpardonable sin. But no, that's not what it is talking about. But let me, let me get there really quick because it's going to be really fascinating. Hopefully, ah, I only got like seven minutes left. Yes, yes, sir. Yeah. Right. So they know already the, the cost of the word of properties among that. Mm-hmm. So they may have a value uh, of property and when they presented the amount that was presented by a man and said, Oh, why right? only this amount of the appraisal of the property is this for you. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's really, you know, after chapter 4, verse 34 to 37, I don't know, I was guessing the report is saying that, oh, maybe uh, they, they have something else. I understand that. Yeah, there, there could be some discussion going on. When, you know, people are giving on the church, so people want to give. And that is also an important point, because we look, we'll run into what we have. I think, let me go here really quick. What we're going to run into is, it's not about the, you know, I mean, well, it's not really good to, to give to the Lord. What I, see, I thought, 
Maybe this is my 100%. I want to give my 100% to the Lord. So whatever that is, 100%, I want to give it to the Lord. But I kept in the last moment. Gave only 50. Right? I did that because Peter is not seeing, no disciples seeing, no members of the church are seeing. I and only my wife. But who's seeing there? Who's really seeing Ananias and Sapphira? Acts 2, who came down? Acts 2 from heaven. Who was sent to these people? Holy Spirit. Peter was filled with Holy Spirit several times. Meaning what? There and there was the presence of God. Right? I mean, think about these little stories that we probably learned from Sunday school or maybe we saw in Ten Commandments movie. How many of you saw Ten, Ten Commandments movie? Back, old, old one. I think the director died after. Yeah, I think he died in the, in the, in the movie while he was completing. I don't know. I don't know the director died a while back, but you see, even though that was like ancient, ancient movies, I love the, the, the way they brought down the fire, pillar of fire and cloud. We take those as movie shots and we take them maybe simply, maybe lightly. But the presence of the Lord is a serious thing. I don't think time will allow me to go any further. But what we see here in this certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, they lie to the spirit because there's God's spirit and God is watching. Disciples are not watching. Peter Probably don't know the, all of that that is going on, but Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter was filled. Prophetically, he was speaking. One of, the, one of the ways to understand that is he was speaking prophetically. Why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? Peter, how do you know? You're not seeing just outwardly, Peter. You're also seeing inwardly. You're seeing my heart. So who could, see, could Peter really see the heart of a person? Who knows the heart of people? Peter was looking with sort of a divine eyes into Ananias. Why did you let Satan come into your heart? What? What Satan? Are you kidding me? I just gave you money. What are you talking, Pete? Ananias, I didn't ask you to bring anything. You did this on your own. But yet you kept. You're not forced. That's what I'm getting. That They're not forced to give. As we will... Uh, See that. Let's see, I have four minutes to finish. Okay, but the children, look at Joshua 7, for example. This is just an example, but maybe we can continue from here on. And I'll summarize the whole thing, but we will move again uh, next week. Children of Israel committed the trespass and accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Jebdi, the son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Obviously, God doesn't want these people to, to get anything from, from their... Um, you know, the, the, the wars and stuff. But Achan robbed stuff. He brought stuff and put it. So he took that. What did uh, Ananias did? He kept part of. These are in Greek similar words. So God punished Achan, right? Did he not punish Achan? He told Joshua, go get rid of him. <laughs> we can feel bad. Oh, poor little guy. His own family and himself were killed for just, uh, steal- just stealing. God is just we cannot take it so lightly. God is just and He wants His people to be holy. So here is my point. I mean, uh, here on this New Testament side, Ananias kept from the proceedings. That is also wrong because he might have talked about this to the elders that he's going to give, but he may not. And also, one of the main things that we see in Ananias and Sapphira is to get reputation. In other words, ah, I'm going to give this uh, $1 million to the church. Why is pastor not asking me to come and sit in the front row? Uh, Pastor, I'm giving you $1 million as a donation for the church. 
Why is pastor not praising me in the midst of congregation? Uh, my wife uh, is also part of that $1 million. So, uh, church, uh, how are you with the $1 million donors? <laughs> you're not praising us. Why are you looking at us like that? You have to praise us. We need that praise. We need that reputation. No other person that brought these proceedings and given to the disciples craved for reputation. But Ananias and Sapphira, their hearts were filled with the greed. They need a great name. They need publicity. They need propaganda that Ananias and Sapphira gave so much. And that guy, Barnabas, he brought everything he's got. He didn't ask nothing, say nothing. He just gave everything. Do what you want to do. But these people, Ananias and Sapphira, they want the big name. I mean, even churches are also, including pastors, I would say, some of them fall for the same thing. If they, if they see a couple of doctors and uh, medical doctors and some engineers who's got a lot of money, they're going to give them more preference. Have you noticed that? Hey, brother, good to see you. He came to church. What about the poor guy sitting at the corner? He gets a smile. You see, that, is, that happens. And I'm, I'm witness of those things. You got, you, you got a row of these doctors, buddy doctors, friends sitting here. Pastors always thanking them. Why won't you thank that poor lady who's coming to church since she established this church? Oh, you want new people with new money. The more you praise, the more you get for the church. You see, some of the pastors are completely corrupt. And they shouldn't be on pulpit at all, in my opinion. And I have a tendency to tell them to get out. God just made me that way. And the scripture is given for what? Huh? For correction? For rebuke? For righteousness? Right? Second Timothy 3, 3.16 it's not only given for us by the inspiration of God, but it's also given for other purposes, correction, rebuke, righteousness, so forth. So we'll have to end up here with these things. But, but these people, the Ananias and Sapphira, they want some good, good quality reputation. Obviously, God doesn't like that. And they lie to the Spirit because they let the devil take control of them. Now, this church is fresh. I'm again way like 20 slides ahead of myself here. Church is, has a fresh beginning. It's new. It's just born. God is at work. Devil's saying, okay, I'm going to destroy you because I don't want you to go any further from this because people are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. No, Jesus is my enemy, says the devil. So he's trying to infiltrate in the church and do everything. The parables of wheat and tares. You can't separate them until the judgment time. In other words, church has people, even till this day, and will be in church, some filthy people. You're not going to remove them. You cannot remove them because they all look alike, the believers. And pastors, missionaries, evangelists, they can't sort out who's right, who's not. Christ says what in that parable? I'm going to send my reapers. Because you can't do the job. You don't know how to do it. I'm going to send my reapers who would clean up the mess, the weeds and the wheat. And the weeds will be tied together for burning. The wheat will be going into my house. See, there's a lot of things that happen in the church, but uh, we'll conclude that we'll conclude at Ananias and Sapphira craving for repetition. Okay, and we'll finish it there for today. But then we need to rem- remember that we need to pray for churches, for church members. We shouldn't be craving for our own selves, own glory, but we must crave for God's glory. That is also one of the main points with this lesson. So there's a lot to learn, but time is my enemy sort of thing. So we'll close, all right?
Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for this time. And I pray that you help us live a life that gives you glory, Father. Help us to not to think of ourselves too high. And we are the most important things on this world, Father. But help us to think that we are lowly, we're humble, we're we're alive because of your grace. And I pray that you help us think in the terms of biblical terms and that we live our lives so that we can give you glory, Father. Ultimately, you're our Father. You're our King. I pray that you forgive our sins and you help us learn and live according to your way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, man, that's sad. I, want, I have so much from here on, but next week. All right, thank you for joining.